For the next 31 days on the FCPA Compliance Report, we're going to be bringing you a daily tip, strategy, or idea that you can use to improve your program. Here's your host, Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. One area not often considered by the CCO as a key part of any compliance regime is the controller's office. The controller's office generally has the responsibility to accurately record and report financial transactions for the company, to design and implement and execute financial processes and controls of the company to be both effective and efficient, and to safeguard the financial assets of a company. Some of the compliance responsibilities of the controller's office include designing and implementing internal controls that impact legal, ethical, and compliance risks, accurately recording the financial transactions of the company, and preventing and detecting fraudulent activity. All of this means in practical terms the controller's office is both the keeper of the books and records and the implementer of internal controls. Moreover, with many of the many of these internal controls would most probably be viewed as financial internal controls. There are additional internal controls which are not financial in nature. One thing about the Controller's office, as noted by Russ Berland, is these guys really live in the battle zone. They are constantly looking at financial transactions. They're evaluating them. They're figuring out (coughs) where things go within the books and records. They are implementing the processes that should be keeping fraud from happening, keeping bribery and corruption from happening. This means that not only can the controller's office be one of compliance function's strongest corporate allies, the role of the controller's office by its nature, is to operationalize compliance. This is because to implement the appropriate internal controls around compliance, the controller's office must know the specific requirements of the FCPA, what kinds of issues are likely to come up that might create a risk of bribery and corruption, all leading to an appropriate understanding of the appropriate compliance internal controls to implement. This is most particularly true around offshore payments, which are generally defined as payments made to a location other than the home domicile of the party, or the location where the services are delivered. For instance, if a Tunisian agent who performs services in Dubai asks for a payment location somewhere other than Dubai or Tunisia, that will qualify as an offshore payment. If you train people (coughs) who are in the controller's office on this issue, all of a sudden you'll get someone in the controller's office who will give you as the compliance practitioner a phone call and say, hey, We just saw a request for a payment to this guy in a Middle Eastern country, and we're not sure what it's for. That's where controls are working, as opposed to the person just dealing with it on an administrative level instead of keeping your antenna up. These types of communications, when properly documented, demonstrate that your compliance program is operationalized into the fabric of your organization. Another way to view it is if there is a controller's office control for such a scenario, which notes the exception and requires the clearance of a red flag through additional investigation, evaluation for approval, and documentation of the entire process. This is a financial control which acts as a compliance internal control as well. It strengthens the company's internal controls to both prevent and detect key compliance risks going forward. Another area for the controller's office is on the company's master vendor list. And here... This is obviously a part of your business ventures because many vendors come into a strategic or other contractual relationship with a company through the vendor master list. Some obvious internal controls that no one person 
or business venture partner gets paid unless they are properly on the correct list. No person or business venture is admitted unless they are onto the list and unless they've gone through an appropriate level of due diligence, which, of course, varies by task, function, and country. The controller's office can also put internal controls in place where employees attempt workarounds when they can't get someone paid going forward. Such apparent financial controls might well include those around the manual check process and your internal requirements for international wire transfer. So international wire transfers are obviously something that would have FCPA implications when money is sent outside the United States. So this is another place where the controller's controller's office can be a key component of your fully operationalized compliance program. Finally, even to this day, petty cash continues to be a source of funds to fuel bribery and corruption. The controller's office is always on the front lines for petty cash. These issues are usually dealt with what are generally viewed as internal controls specific to controlling the outflow of money to business venture partners and requiring those business venture partners to have gone through some due diligence. All of this is sitting right in the controller's office. Additional benefits to the compliance function include the retrieval and analysis of financial data and the design of internal controls. It allows the compliance function to rely on actual financial expertise rather than homegrown financial expertise within the compliance function. It extends the compliance function influence through to the controller's office. Finally, the compliance function is made aware of relevant concerns by recording transactions, executing internal controls, and financial monitoring. These benefits are not simply a one-way street for compliance as the controller's office benefits from a closer relationship with the compliance function as well. The controller's office can leverage compliance resources. The compliance function can bring its own observations and insights from investigation and emerging risks to the controller's office. A closer collaboration will broaden awareness of compliance risk, which relate to financial processes. Obviously, by more fully integrating compliance into the controller's office function, a more robust picture of enterprise risk, including ongoing business ventures, arises. So what are today's three key takeaways? Number one, when you start with offshore payments, that every CCO needs to more fully integrate the controller's office into their compliance regime. Number two, suspicious payments, whether they be offshore payments, whether they be manual checks, whether they be international wire transfers, or whether they be petty cash, must be flagged and further investigated. And if a red flag does arise, it must be cleared. And finally, the controller's office is both the keeper of the books and records and the implementer of internal controls. In addition to the specifics I've detailed in this podcast around how it can help in offshore payments and other types of payments to business ventures, never forget that the controller's office can be most helpful in the implementation of internal controls. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to thank you again for joining me for this episode of 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program around business ventures. And I hope you will join me for our next episode tomorrow. This podcast series on 31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.